Is that up there? Are we up there yet? There we are. Um, I play basketball with Nolan sometimes. And he's so bad. I mean, he's almost three, and he can barely get it above his... You know how three-year-olds... Have you ever thought about how like babies can barely touch their fingers to the top of their head? They've just got these short little arms compared to their head. Makes you think, like... We're really th- we should be really thankful that our heads don't grow at the same rate as the rest of our bodies. They have really big heads. Maybe that's just for me. I'm enjoying it. I don't care. But they're, they he he's but I, to play with him, I have to sort of I dribble real low, and he'll come and he'll take it from me, and walk worse than an NBA player, all the way up to his goal, and he'll shoot and make the shot, and then taught me. Like he's done something. And I enjoy it. I enjoy it with everything in me. I just think it's just a, a blast. I'll do that all day long. I'll, I'll dribble, let him steal it, let him shoot. Um, every once in a while, I'll get in front of him. I'll catch up with him and get, around him, get in front of him. And he'll give me one of those. You know, and I'm just faked out. I can't go anywhere. He'll get around me and he'll shoot and he'll score. That's sort of what being a dad and playing with your kids is, you know, when Nolan wants to wrestle, that means I'm going to lose. When my kids want to wrestle, that means I'm going to lose. They're going, I'm going to pretend that they can take me down, and then every once in a while they're going to throw an elbow to my eye socket, (laughs) and I'm actually going to pass out for a little bit. And there's a, there's a sense in, in loving relationships that you, you give of yourself so that the other can be lifted up. That you make yourself less. That you pull back of yourself. Make yourself less to lift up other people. As we love people in the name of Jesus, this gets harder. You know, of course I can do this with my son or with the girls. You can do this in your marriage where you, you pull back of yourself to let others, to let your spouse be greater. You. This is a. a it's a. It's a healthy balance in, in marriage and in, in easy relationships. But in Christianity and in Christian life and loving your neighbor, that's really hard. Because there are people out there who don't love you, and want to take advantage of you. There are people out there who are, who who are are fine with hurting you. Even when Nolan elbows me in the eye socket, which he's done a couple of times just this weekend, he's sorry, sort of. But there's, a, there's, a, there's an instinct in us that we want to win in just regular life. You don't go play a sport with strangers and think, oh, I'll let them win too, like you'd let your child win. We want to win, we want to be first. Sometimes game night turns into, which one of my friends is the biggest jerk? Not really, but we can get real competitive. Rachel's super competitive. She loves to play and win games. Um, Not or. There's no or. It's just and. She likes to win. I like to win. I like to be first. I like to be right. And who doesn't? Who doesn't like to be first and right? 
Have you ever tried to win an argument that you knew you were wrong? Like, have you ever been in an argument with somebody, maybe your spouse or some, somebody at work, and they, and like halfway through, the thought hits you, oh no, I'm the wrong one here. At that point, you have a decision to make. You have to decide whether you're going to win the argument still. Because at that point, you're like, wow, your mother, you know, there we, that's when you get into those sorts. Or you're going to stop and say, hold up, hold up, hold up, I'm so sorry. That second one's harder than you think. The first one's pretty natural. Because your blood's boiling already. And you just want to, you want to win. Maybe you haven't done that, but have you ever passed a car just because they were in front of you? They're going about the speed you want to go, but you would like to go that speed without them in front of you. I want to be first. I want to get there first. You don't, you don't say this, and you might not even think it, but your inner child, when you pass them, goes, I'm winning! <laughs> you like to be first. You like to win. You like to be right. In the story of Jesus, there's just one character who is uplifted and then falls pretty quickly. You know, his name's John the Baptist, and we typically don't like to talk about the Baptist here, but... We will, we will make an exception for John. No offense, Scott. We, John was this inspirational figure who pointed to the fact that the Messiah was coming soon. Jesus will say uh, in, in the last part of Matthew chapter 11 that John is the greatest of all the prophets, Elijah, Elisha, Jeremiah, Isaiah, Micah, Malachi, Hosea, all the prophets, out of all of them, this one figure that shows up at the first of the Gospels, named John, was the greatest of all of them. There's some, there's some talk of him even being Elijah returned, which I don't know how that works. But he was the greatest of all the prophets because he was pointing to not just a day of judgment, not just a day of, of, of peace or a day of reconciliation or a day of triumph, but the Messiah is coming. And John was the prophet who got to say, oh, look, and there he comes. Not just is coming, but he's walking up on us. He baptized Jesus, the greatest of all the prophets, and now he's in prison. Okay. Let's explain this a little bit. If you are a Jew in the first century, you live probably in the area that Jesus ministered. There's a lot of Jews who lived elsewhere, but a lot, most of the Jews lived in the area where Jesus ministered, in Galilee and in Judea. That's in the north section where Jesus grew up, Nazareth and all that. And then the south section, Judea, where Jesus uh, eventually died in Jerusalem. That's where he was born, Bethlehem. All those cities are down there. And all of Jerusalem, there are the Jews. And they 
worship at the temple, and they are ruled by a king. His name's Herod, and he is a psychopath. Um, not the, psych- the sort of psychopath that will kill a bunch of babies because he, doesn't, he heard one of those two-year-olds not become king one day. The sort of psychopath that will kill his brother or his, or his son because he's afraid he might take the throne. They're ruled by a nut. All the Herods, there's a lot of different Herods throughout the story of Jesus. All the Herods are crazy. And Herod is sort of watched over by a guy named, by a governor named Pilate. And all of those guys are looked out after over these large um, overseers of certain districts in the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire was ruled by Caesar. Now, Caesar was king. And one of the problems they had in um, the Jewish culture is they didn't want to be ruled by Rome. They wanted to rule themselves. And they wanted a rightful king, not this doodad named Herod. They wanted an actual person from the line of David. And someday, they said, someday the Messiah is going to come and we'll get our land back. The Israelites did not want to rule Rome. They didn't want to rule in Italy or in Asia Minor or in Spain or in Egypt or in Assyria. They wanted to rule their own land, the land God had given them. And so when John says the Messiah is coming, he he means something that we don't mean when we say that. They hear something that we don't hear. When he says the Messiah is coming, that means strap on a sword, boys. We're about to go. Remember when Jesus fed the 5,000 and it said, and there were 5,000 men there? And we said, wow, there's probably more, counting the, men, the women and children. Not if that's an army. Not if that's a militia trying to figure out, are we going to follow this guy or not? So John the Baptist proclaims that a Messiah is coming and it gets him thrown into prison. When John, in verse Matthew 11, chapter 2, I mean, chapter 11, verse 2, when John, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask him, Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect another? Do you remember who threw John in prison? King Herod, the crazy, they called him. That's not true, but they could have. King Herod. Now, John eventually dies in prison, is actually beheaded in prison, but imagine if you understood what the Messiah was in that day. And you were arrested because you said the Messiah was coming and you met the Messiah. And you were arrested by this king who didn't uh, understand the Messiah the way you did. And you thought, you're going to be overruled. Your throne's going to be overturned, my friend. Go ahead and put me in jail. If I believed that the guy I was pointing at was going to whoop the guy that was imprisoning me... I wouldn't be that afraid of the guy who was imprisoning me, right? Go ahead and put me in jail. 
Go ahead and do, do your worst. Jesus is coming. Your kingship won't last very long. John the Baptist had a certain expectation of Jesus, just like every Jew in the first century. And it's hard for us to connect with that because we've heard the name for Jesus. We've heard the name Christ. We've heard the name Messiah for so long that we don't even hear what the Jewish people heard. They wanted their throne back. And they thought the Messiah was going to bring that throne back. And so when John says, are you the one who is to come or is there somebody else? There's a hint of desperation. Of, I've been sitting in jail for a bit. Is this actually going to be the way it ends for me? Are we going to win? Or do we have to wait for someone else to win? Are we going to be first? Or do we have to wait for someone else to make us be first? Are you the one? Or is it somebody else? Do we have to wait on someone else? And then Jesus says, go back and report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. Those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. This is a common refrain in the prophets about what the Messiah will do, but he left off, a, he left off one. Because they're, they're constantly talking about how the, the blind will receive sight, the deaf will hear, the lame will walk, the gospel will be preached to the poor, and the prisoner will be released. And Jesus doesn't say that one. There's almost, the, there is this implied rhythm to the, the prophet's language of when, when the Messiah comes, those who are hurting will be helped. And Jesus doesn't tell John the prisoner will be released. Jesus just tells him, the blind see, lame walk. Those who have a skin disease are cleared up, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus is saying, those who are the least in this world are being taken care of. And just because I'm here doesn't mean things are going to go the way you expect them to go. So this answer is twofold, actually, in, in prophetic language. Yes, I am the Messiah. And you ain't getting out anytime soon. Yes, I am what you thought I was going to be, but not in the way you thought I was going to be it. Jesus constantly surprises us like this. Now, you may not think, and actually I'm guessing that for sure, you do not think that Jesus uh, was is going to be a militaristic king, that he's going to overthrow the government and rule in his, in our in his place. Now, you don't think that. 
That's not your misconception of Jesus. But a lot of times Jesus gets misconceived. God just wants us to be happy. I've, I've heard people say that with a straight face. Everything will work out if you just believe. Okay, yeah. But I'm pretty sure everybody dies. One way or another. If that's news to you, I'm teenagers, I'm sorry. But everybody does. So like, what's our definition of working out? What's our definition of things going well? What's our definition of victory? And a lot of times our definition of victory is this, is this low-level earthly victory that doesn't bring any glory to the kingdom of God. But real victory, real victory actually a lot of times feels like earthly defeat. Being first in the kingdom of heaven a lot of times feels like being last in the kingdom of earth. You can tell this by the way we talk about the things that God has commanded us to do. Love your neighbor. Love your neighbor and pray for those who persecute you. Yeah, but what if we always have a caveat, don't we? We always have an ending. Yeah, but... Forgive like you want to be forgiven. Yeah, but you don't know... Forgive like you want to be forgiven. Forgiving someone feels like defeat, doesn't it? Feels like, ah, I don't want them to get away with it. Well, they might not get away with it. For your forgiving of someone else has nothing to do with them. It has everything to do with your own heart. Your loving somebody else has nothing to do with whether or not they're worthy has everything to do with your own heart and whether or not the Spirit of God is actually moving and working and living in your life. Producing fruit in you. Patience feels like a loss. Feels like being second place when you're waiting on somebody else. Patience, actually, in the Christian sense, is, is like a double forgiveness. Patience is simply forgiving someone over and over again. Whether they're taking too long and you have to forgive that again and again, or they've wronged you and you're having to be patient with them. We think in terms of winning and losing, but we've got to decide which kingdom we're going to win in first. And the kingdom of heaven, those victories feel like earthly losses. I don't know if I can go through that. Well, Jesus did. I mean, from the get-go, God became man. That feels like a loss, doesn't it? Win for the kingdom. Jesus made himself, became a man and humbled himself, died on a cross, feels like an earthly loss, doesn't it? Heavenly victory. Didn't take down Herod. Feels like a loss. John died in prison. Feels like a... I'm sorry, spoiler alert. John dies in prison. Feels like a loss. 
that those who are least are becoming greater. Jesus flips our instincts on its head. So you can almost guarantee that the thing your, your earthly desires want you to do ain't what you need to do. You can almost guarantee that the, the victories that you desire are not victories that are healthy for the kingdom of God. And look what Jesus says at the end of this. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. <laughs> what? Blessed or happy or content is anyone who doesn't stumble on account of me. A lot of times, our understanding of Jesus, our misconception of Jesus, can make us pretty frustrated with Jesus. When we forgive the people that are really hard to forgive, that the world doesn't want to forgive. When we show grace in places where the world does not want to show grace. See, a lot of times we, we talk about our difference with the world as if the world has somehow wants to do really bad, sinful things and we want to not do those really bad, sinful things. And while that's true, it's not fully, the image isn't complete unless we add on. We want to, the, the world does not want to show forgiveness and grace and mercy and love and we want to be drenched in it yes we don't want to sin like the world but we also want to show love and kindness and mercy like the world refuses to show and so when the world says oh don't forgive that person we forgive that person and when the world says oh don't love that person we love that person and it may feel like a defeat but it's a victory for the kingdom of God. It may feel like we're losing, but we're winning for what God is doing. And more and more Christians, if we want to, if we want to progress the mission of God, more and more Christians are going to have to lose on earth so that the kingdom of heaven wins. We're going to have to give up of ourselves so that the mission of God can go forward. We're going to have to let people feel like they're right when they're wrong. For a bit. It's not going to be the whole time. Sometimes people... Are, I, listen, I have very strong opinions about what the Bible says. Um, if I didn't, you should fire me. I just, I just, I'm passionate. I've read my Bible. I'm passionate about some particular things. And sometimes I hear things and I'm like, oh, that's kind of screwy. But I've got to decide, is the relationship worth this right now? We'll get there. Is it worth it right now? Is, does love right now correct them or does love eat with them? Because love will eventually correct them, but where do we start? Do we start at the pulpit or do we start at the table? And I'd argue we start at the table. Have you ever remember the discussion about how you knew you were right, you knew you were wrong, but you argued anyway? You know it's harder when you know you're right and you got to let it go. Oh, that's hard, especially if you remember that you're right later. And you're like, oh, 
And you want to say, you know, remember that time we were arguing about this and you said this and then I said, well, you're doing the same thing now and here it is. Love remembers no wrongs, doesn't it? It doesn't keep record like that. That's hard to pull off. And it can feel like a loss. But the kingdom of heaven is not concerned with how well you're doing on earth. The kingdom of heaven is not concerned with your record of wins and losses, how often you've been first in on earth. The kingdom of heaven is about the wins that we find in Jesus. You will, you will, if you follow Jesus, consistently find yourself losing here. You'll consistently find yourself vulnerable here. Might I add, and I feel like this is a given, just like Jesus. We'll talk about this later in the series, but he, he says anyone who wants to follow me must take up their cross. The cross is not a trophy, y'all. The, the cross is death. Take up your cross and follow me. Those who think they can see are blind, and those who are blind will see. Those who are first are last, and those who are last are first. It can feel like you're losing. I was, uh, went to church with a man for a while. I'll probably edit this out of the video. I don't know if he watches. Went to church with a man for a while who uh, would, on potluck, would stand at the, at the line, at the, where the line starts, where, where the line gets good, the food starts. He would stand there and he would hand plates out to people. And you know, a lot of people would say, no, 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 go ahead. He'd go, no, 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 the first will be last and the last shall be first. I don't think this is a math equation. If I can just go last in line, then I'll be first in the kingdom of heaven, suckers. <laughs> this isn't for us to like find some sort of topsy-turvy backdoor way to win. It's going to feel like defeat a lot. You're going to feel like you're not getting your way. That means you're going to have to be a grown-up and decide which is more important, your way or the way. And a lot of times that's going to be the decision that's going to feel like, that's going to decide whether you win here or you lose here or the kingdom of God loses here or wins here. The first will be last and the last will be first. If you've been fighting real hard to be first, and, it's, and you're exhausted. And you want to give in to the way of Jesus and let the way of Jesus rule your life. You want to connect to Jesus. You want to be saved. You just, sins be taken away as we connect with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus and baptism. You want to have the hope of resurrection yourself. We are called to something bigger Sometimes that feels like walking down front at a church and feeling like you're, I've lost 
But when you lose, you win. Walking out of here with your pride still intact may feel like a win, but it's a loss. Give your life to God. Be saved by the power of Jesus. Be reconnected with the way of Jesus. Whatever you do this morning, don't win here. That's a waste of your time. But win in the kingdom of heaven. This morning, come forward while we stand and sing.